and our speaker today is Katie Kwan. Now, I first met Katie in the fall of 2010 at our annual event called Group Connect. Group Connect is an event for everyone that wants to get involved in a life group, and so we have a Sunday evening that we devote to getting to know each other, outlaying the purposes of life groups, and then having people get connected in a group. And so that's the first time that I met Katie and several of her friends. And sometimes I find in my life, you look back at past events and you just think, wow, some of this stuff just seems to randomly happen. Some people use different language to describe it. Some call it luck. Some call it karma. Some people say it's definitely an act of God. But for whatever the case, Katie and her friends happen to get involved in a life group that my wife, Melissa, and I were leading. And it didn't take long for our group to develop a loving respect and appreciation for Katie, who is wise beyond her years. And since then, Katie has continued her involvement here at Jericho Ridge. She's been co-leading a life group, and she serves in the nursery as well. And one of the reasons that I like Katie is that she grew up in the great state of Washington. And British Columbia is very successful, at least in my opinion, of recruiting great quality people from the state of Washington. And she chose to cross the 49th parallel when she enrolled at Trinity Western University, and she graduated with a degree in psychology and then completed her master's there in clinical counseling. And she's been the director of counseling at Mercy Ministries since 2011. Katie and her husband, John, are newlyweds. They were married this past March, so they've got three months under their belts. And you know what? They're looking forward to a very fun and relaxing summer because John's a school teacher, and he's probably one of the happiest people here because he's got a few weeks off coming up. And so, Katie, thanks in advance for preparing your heart and preparing to speak to us on what God has been showing you through Psalm chapter 1. And as you make your way up here, I'd like to pray so that we ready ourselves for your message, um, that we are reminded that you are God's servant speaking to us. Father God, I ask that you would prepare our hearts and our minds by quieting all the things that may be running through them. I pray that you would help us be honest with ourselves as we listen to your spirit speak to us. I pray, Lord, that you would use Katie to speak words of truth and that your spirit would use that to compel us to take action. Lord, we are thankful that you give us the opportunity to serve you. We are thankful for the truth of your scripture. And so, Lord, use this to motivate us, to compel us to follow you in obedience. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Keith. Keith and I were talking as he was helping me get ready for this morning about how it's ironic that you have two Americans in front of you on Canada Day. So I don't know who planned that, um, but yay for Canadian Americans. I'm just going to set up some stuff here. I was also telling Laura that uh, every time I look at preachers up here or pastors, I always think that they must feel very rejected because our church leaves all of these seats empty every single Sunday. And she was very wisely suggesting, I thought we should just take out these rows and she said we should just take out the back rows. We all have to move forward, but not yet. Someday. Um, so Keith stole my entire introduction of myself. That's okay. Um, but yeah, my name is Katie, and I am honored to not stand there, to be your speaker this morning and to take you into the book of Psalms. Um, 
For those of you who have your Bibles out and like to already have your finger in there, we are in Psalm 1. For those of you who follow on your apps, I'm going to be using the NASB version. I like to have the same version of the speaker, so... Um, but put your finger there, because, um, yeah, I just want to tell you a bit about myself before I start. And, um, yeah, like he said, I um, am working at Mercy Ministries right now. Um, that happened, like he said, there's luck and coincidence. I call it providence. Um, it was stars aligning with the birth of Ethan Teeter and the networking skills of Melissa Reed where I just showed up one day and had this job um, by the grace of these two women. And uh, yeah, it's a complete privilege and honor and it humbles me and teaches me more than probably all the sermons I've heard in the last five years. So um, yeah, I... Yeah, last week, Pastor Brad spoke about the power of confession, for those of you who are here. Um, for those of you who are not, you should listen to it. It's good. Confession is good. And it was, I just had to laugh as I listened to him, because the moment that Pastor Keith asked me to um, speak with you guys on the Psalms, I had this very deep conviction. I had no idea what Psalm I would preach on, but I had this very deep conviction that I needed to confess a few things to you as a community. And um, that's that gets messy in your heart when you know you have to confess things to people. Um, yeah, so confession changes us as the confessor, and that is um, why I choose to do it, why I think it's good for us as a community. So it cost my pride something to say, but in all honesty, I've been hiding in this church for a couple of years. I've been here since 2010. I always sit in like that row over there. Um, you can always find me in that row. Um, but I have only introduced myself to a few of you who sit around me, and that's not an awesome thing. <laughs> I, uh, I do my Christian duty here in church. Like he said, I volunteer in the nursery. I, um, I go to a small group that I love. Um, they're wonderful, special, godly people. Some of them are sitting on the floor in the back. Hello, Kers. <laughs> um, but I came into Jericho knowing three people, and that circle has only expanded by a few people since then. Lost my place. I'm coming back. Um, doing all of those things, things that I know I should do, coming to church, volunteering, um, being part of a life group, those are my Christian duties. And I allowed myself the excuse that because I was doing those things, God and I were okay. That's the thing about self-deception and not letting people in is that they don't call you on your stuff. I thought that God was well-pleased with me, um, but the truth of it is that he's not. This is something I'm working on, but behavior change will not show my coming out of this state of hiding. It will be a heart change. It will be when I make the conscious decision to hold you, Jericho community, not at an arm's length. Because while I'm here and I show up, I, I have. I've held you guys at a very arm's length. And that's not okay. To let myself be messy in front of you is a hard thing for me. And this itself has a backstory. For those of you who are wondering, it will come to Psalm 1 eventually, I promise. The backstory to this is that four years ago, I spent a year abroad in Korea. And I loved it. I taught English. It was great times. But it was spiritually the driest season I've ever had in my life. I felt so incredibly far from God. You know, that feeling of just that he's quiet, that he's, you know he's there, and like this part works, but this part just doesn't. That was that year for me. And in all honesty, I was a bit bitter towards God because of that. 
And I used that even as an excuse when I came back here to Canada and got involved in this community of, God, I'm still bitter about this season, and I don't know what to do with you, and I don't know what to do with all these people who love you. We're really good at excuses, right? It's easy. Which, in a way, leads me to another confession that I need to make to you as a community, and that is that since then, four years, I haven't invested myself in daily devotions with God. And that is a shameful thing to admit. Not something I'm proud of. Whoa, not a crier. Okay. That's not something I'm proud of, but it's true. And it's my experience right now. And the thing about being far from community is that when you're far from community, community doesn't know to call you on stuff like, hey, how is your daily Bible reading going? Next page. Um, even following along with Jericho Ridge's Bible app, year, Bible in a Year plan was challenging for me. I've done it over the last few months, bitterly sometimes, um, but I've loved it, and it has been a blessing to me. But even that was a stretch, and it shouldn't be, in my view. I'm not saying that I've walked away from God in the past four years. I have relied heavily on him in so many areas of my life. But head knowledge, rather than coming to him with delight and joy as a, a spiritual discipline, as a spiritual outpouring of my heart. I have gone to the word, the bread of life, only when I'm already past the point of hunger. This is a starvation mentality for my walk with God, a product of years in the desert. Which brings me to my message today, because the last two months of my life have been a healthy conviction of this, and Psalm 1 has been a part of that. I am sharing this part of you with me, not because I've changed anything, or because I'm a success story of how I disciplined my flesh, and I'm now a better woman, and rah-rah, but because I'm just starting, because it's new, because it's fresh, and because God hits you where you're at. Um, we have a God who is not worried about products. He is not worried about the results, but he is worried about the fact that I'm trying and that I'm showing up. So all the things I'm going to say in the next 25 minutes, I ask that you take with the little grain of, okay, I'm just starting this, and here's how it's hitting and transforming me. I don't stand before you as a theologian or as a pastor or as a missionary or as even a leader in this church beyond the two-year-olds or like the under-twos, which I love. I know more of the under-twos in this church than I do everyone else. So you've got great kids, by the way. Um, I stand before you as the woman who sits over there, and I want to share a piece of myself with you because we are community. We are a cloud of witnesses, and I know that God sees me and the things that I'm hiding, and I have no doubt that among us, we are all hiding something from God. We are all being asked to be obedient to something from God, and we're not. <laughs> Four years for me before I answered this call of obedience to God. So if you're in the under four years, you're doing great. If you're over four years, then, you know, come talk to me later and make me feel really good about myself. <laughs> okay. So Psalm 1 is simple. It's short. It's direct to the point. It's a whopping six verses, but this little introduction to the entire 149 afterwards has packed in it all of the themes that you'll see in the Psalms. The Psalms are beautiful. We've had so many weeks of preaching on them and so many different people interacting with them in their own ways. I hope that's whet an appetite for you for the Psalms. We jump into this Psalm and I want you to look for the psalmist to show us a few things. He's going to show us two groups of people, the wicked and the righteous. 
He's going to tell us what the difference between them is. He's going to give us a picture of the righteous and a different picture of the wicked, and then a preview to what happens at the end. So, if you will turn with me, I'm just going to read the psalm for us. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which will yield fruit in its season, and, which, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like a chaff which, is, which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Small, right? Short, to the point. (laughs) The first concept we run into here is blessings. This word blessings at the beginning, it's not one blessing. It's multiple blessings. It's all blessings. It's the entirety of blessings. And before you prepare your hearts for a little prosperity gospel, love Jesus, you'll be great, life will be awesome, Think of blessings as this. Blessing is looking, of God looking favorably upon me. That God looks at me and calls me righteous. That he looks at me and says, I've invested in you. You're my person. I, I want you to do well. That is the concept of blessings. And the psalmist is telling us that everything that comes after this is about blessing, is about how do we get it, how it works, what we do for it. And I think that's like the best hook in for an audience you can ever have. So blessings. The second thing that we run into in this psalm is a very rich picture of the wicked, against which later the righteous will be contrasted. We are given both a description of the action as well as the heart condition of these three groups of people. So notice with me that each group gets more intense. We're going to break them all down and look at them for a minute, okay? So the first one, um, the one who does not walk in, the, in step with the wicked, okay? So the counsel of the wicked, the, the way, the step, the counsel, some translations do it differently, but the counsel of the wicked. So the heart condition here is the most general. Wicked means I don't love God. I don't proclaim Christ as Lord. So this is a person, this is a man who is not a Christian, okay? But his He's not actively trying to change your mind, but he's got lots of advice for you on how you should live your life. So I don't deny that people who don't love God don't have really great advice or really great wisdom, but at the core of who they are, their heart is not for God, okay? So this psalm is not saying that we should avoid relationships with these kind of people. Remember, they're just painting a picture for us of who the wicked are, okay? Because... I am living testimony that I can be in a group of beautiful Christians who love Jesus and, you know, still have my own relationship problems with God. It's not just only about surrounding yourself with people who love God. So let's go to the next one. Stand in the way of the sinners. The heart of the sinner is active. Notice here, it's not that I just don't believe in God, but I'm active in my sin. Not I, they. Anyways. Um, They're active in the evil that they do. The language used here is the way of the sinner. Each man who is active in sin likely has his own particular flavor or brand of sin. um, He also has his own thoughts of what is right and wrong. There are lines that he draws. For example, a man who drinks copiously might snub his nose at someone who steals. 
but the thief might you know, raise his hands in disgust at the adulterer. Okay, each sinner has his own brand of sinning, the things that he thinks he's doing okay, but you know, might think that someone else is not. So again, you've got the first group, the ungodly, that have lots of advice for you. You've got the second group who are actively doing things in rebellion against God, and they're kind of enticing you, come do it my way, like it's okay, no worries, I've got a, I've got a thought here. The word stand as well gives us a bit of a clue. Walking is casual, there's movement, there's, you know, I'm not totally committed to something, but stand is firm, I'm planted. I've chosen a plot of, of ground in the world and I'm standing, I'm staking a claim on this. I have an opinion. So you can think of um, Ephesians 6, so when the day of evil comes, stand, and after everything, stand. Okay, it's, it's a powerful stance. Um, this group of people has a lifestyle to protect. The third in this verse is sitting in the seat of scoffers or mockers. If you thought it couldn't get any worse, the final group of people not only doesn't, they're only not pursuing goodness, they're not just actively in sin, but now they are spewing toxin and shame on those who do love God. Okay? So, the language of the New Testament uses the word seat as a place for Pharisees to preach or teach from. So this person isn't not only believing that God is not God, but they are saying, hey, you're a fool if you believe so, and you should come believe my way, or you're a fool. I already said the fool part, but it's kind of what they're saying. They're mocking you. So if you wanted to stop at this part, and I think sometimes we as Christians do, we say, well, I'm not any of those people, right? There's different levels of them, and I'm doing better than all of them. It's kind of a negative purity. I'm good because I'm not bad. Does that make sense? Um, in the dark season, I, the last few years, I haven't denied God. I haven't gone out and developed a, a huge drinking habit or something that I just knew God didn't like. It's not like I went out and killed someone, so I must be doing okay. And if you'd like to stop there, you probably should never get to verse 2, because this is the part, verse 2, that kicked me right in the face, and which I believe is kind of the crux of the whole psalm. Because come with me to what he's saying a good man does. It's not just what he doesn't do, it's what he does. So verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and, he, and in his law he meditates day and night. Okay, if you're anything like me, you've heard the bit about meditating day and night a few times. I'm 27 years old, so I calculated it out to about roughly 1,500 sermons I've heard in my lifetime. That's a few sermons. And most, I, I can remember a few that talked about this phrase, meditating day and night. Um, but for some reason, it was only in the last few months that the part about delight really resonated with me so much more than the meditating part. To delight, not the Turkish kind, is something deeper than that. It's an emotional response. Um, the, the point of conviction for me is because the psalmist asks me, not am I doing, not doing bad things, he's asking me, are you delighting in God? And that's a harder question for me to say yes to than have you just not been sleeping around. That one's easy. That one I can draw black and white lines on. The, are you delighting in the law of God? Notice he says law. That's like the part of the Bible I read the least, too, if you think of it in the literal sense. I'm not really a big numbers fan. Or, you know, the Torah, I, I kind of camp in 
New Testament and some favorites in the Old Testament, but I believe he means law, word of God in general. That's what I'm going to proceed with. But, um, but do I delight in the law of the Lord? Now, I've often let myself be deceived and treated God as a vending machine. I put in my obedience, I put in my duty, and out comes my blessing. Out comes the happiness. Out comes the you're doing okays, right? And this verse hit me because delight is not the same as benefits from. Delight is not the same as benefits from. See, if I read the law of the Lord so I can live an easier life or because things will go better for me, then I'm missing the mark according to the psalmist. If my husband, wonderful man, brought me flowers every other Tuesday because he believed his duty was that husbands bring wives flowers, then his gift to me would be a gift of duty, not delight. If he brought home flowers on the days he knew I was really angry and he was going to have a bit of a struggle when he got home and he wanted to soften me up, that's also not delighting. That's benefiting. <laughs> okay? But if my husband brings me flowers because he likes to see the joy in my face when I open the door and there he is with flowers, that's delight. That's joy for joy's sake, not for any benefit from. Ironically, I don't actually like cut flowers. I like French vanillas more. But, you know, we each know our own spouses. We know what delights our heart. But they die. You just watch them die. Why would you want flowers? I don't understand. <laughs> Anyways, it's the motivation that makes the difference. It's the state of your heart. It's the whys. It's not the boxes ticked. For me, the difference between reading my Bible, the place that I was at when I read this psalm, I was at a place of reading my Bible because I knew I was going to be into a long day with my residents. Working at Mercy, I talk about God all day, every day. I work with women who are in this beautiful house of God, who struggle and battle, but it is a fight. And I walk in, I walk in knowing that I'm going to pray against spirits of fear and spirits of brokenness. I know that I live and die by their transformation someday. I have seen God perform beautiful miracles, and they have walked out as women of God, and I delight in that. But I praise God for what he has done, not just because it's a Tuesday. I pray on God's armor in the morning out of a real sense of urgency, and I praise him in reaction to transformation. But again, this is not the picture of delighting in God's law. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't come to God that way. I'm not saying we shouldn't come to him out of desperation or need or seeking wisdom or seeking strength or seeking guidance. Those are good and beautiful things. And you get to the meditating day and night part, and I believe very deeply that that is an integral part of our spiritual walk. But I just want to focus on the delight part today. Okay? So hear me. This is important, too, to pray on strength and to go to God for sustenance and nutrients, but I also believe there's a part of him that says, I just want you to delight in me. I just want you to love me. I just want you to come bring, read this honking book just because you want to. Our psalmist gives us an analogy upon an analogy upon an analogy of what happens when we delight ourselves and root ourselves in the Lord. It ends with a beautiful promise, this section. Whatever he does, whatever they do, prospers. God doesn't give us a rock when we need bread. And that, this promise is crazy to me because he's saying, whatever you are doing, if you do this in my name, you're going to prosper. 
I haven't really fully let my mind grasp that yet. That's something I'm still working through. What does that mean that whatever I do will prosper? Maybe someone else can preach that one someday. But to just know that he leaves us with something here. So we're going to go on to the next verse. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. First, this tree is planted. So he's given us images. It's like an image on an image on an image. Okay? The first image is of a tree. This tree is planted. Planted, not wild. It is set in a location with a purpose. Acts 17.26 tells me that God appointed the time and the place of my birth. It's a little crazy if you think about it. Talk about being born to a purpose. God does not do mistakes, but roots each of us in our lives for a reason. Planting invokes the suggestion that someone will be tending this tree, pruning it, weeding it, nourishing it. It reminds you a bit of the I am the branch, you are the vine, and the whole pruning imagery, which is beautiful. Secondly, this tree, it doesn't just have one source of connection or of nutrients. It has streams, multiple. It's been suggested by Adam Clark that this invokes the custom of irrigation when you take a stream and you divert part of it to water your garden. And you don't just break it off into one branch, you break it off into many. And each time you break it off from the stream, you have a way of controlling that water flow, okay? So in this, the farmer, the tender, is able to say, this tree needs more water, I'm gonna open up more streams to it. And sometimes trees are overwatered, so then you shut down a few of the sources of water. This is the same for us as believers. If we are trees, if we are planted, if we are rooted by many streams, what could be better? <laughs> Why would you not want more options? We have a God who is extremely personal and complex. If he wants a passage to speak to us, it will. If he wants our neighbor to say a word into our lives, he will use that. If he wants nature to sing, it, he will. He's got, we always put him in this little box, like God speaks to me between 10.30 and 12.30 a.m. on Sundays and, you know, this and that. But he doesn't. He, he uses everything. So God is literally throwing relationship at you in these streams of life. And a believer who is planted and rooted has connection to all of those things. My daily devotions, to go back to that really awkward, shameful confession part of my morning, my daily devotions are not the only way I receive nourishment from God. In the last four years have been rich with growth and with learning and with life, but why in the world would I turn off that that devotion, that joy, that nourishment, that me going to the Bible every day seeking God's heart, it's silly for me to turn that off. And that's why I need to change that in my life. That's why I have this conviction. Our psalmist doesn't leave us there, though. He throws another picture, another analogy into this tree. It's fruit. This tree is fruitful. As a counselor, I am asked very often by almost every resident I've ever had, Katie, why am I here? Why do I exist? Like, why do I need to stay? What meaning do I have in my life? It's one of those questions we all go through, right? Why? Like, why do I do what I do? Why am I here? To me, this is it. Your tree is not just here to look pretty. The tree is producing something. It's giving fruit. Fruit gives life. Fruit is a product. It is an outpouring of something. You're here with a purpose. So not only am I planted in a time and a season for a purpose, but I'm planted there to do something to give off fruit. 
And if you just needed one more picture to add to this, he adds on the image of the leaves. The leaves are what allow the tree to take in nourishment from the sun. And if you had a tree that always had leaves, it would always be taking in energy. Okay? So it's this picture of like open hands, like I am always open for what God is telling me and I'm, I'm getting something. I'm always absorbing. And whatever I'm absorbing, I'm storing up within me. Complete side note, not in my notes, but one of the things I learned about fruit trees really recently is that, who says things like that? Um, one of the things I learned about fruit trees recently is that when you have a really cold, summer, or a cold winter, the roots of trees actually have to go down super far to find water it actually forces them. So in the cold, cold winters, those trees look really lame, they look really spindly, but actually the fruit the summer after that is the best because that tree's roots are down so, so incredibly deep that it, it just, it produces, it has so much more energy in life because it's not only getting the deep water, it's getting all the water in between that it would only usually go down as far as it needs the first time for water. So what a beautiful picture of my soul if I go through times of suffering and times of coldness and times of farness from God. That means I have to go down deep and deep, which means the fruit of my life is going to be so much more beautiful. God's crazy. He just throws stuff like that everywhere. Okay, back to our psalm. Christ is our heart's delight and the meditations of our mind by day and by night. If we are rooted and established in that love, our lives will be a reflection of that. Our fruit will be a reflection of that. Now, the psalmist doesn't just leave us there. Remember, he's flipping back and forth. Don't be like the wicked, but don't measure yourself by just not being wicked. Be like this tree, but realize what the wicked are like as well. So he's jumping us back. Verses 4 and 5. Not so are the wicked, but they are like a chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. I love visuals, so that's why the psalms work for me. Chaff. If you think of wheat, chaff is the bit around the wheat on the head that falls off. It's like a scale. It's like a snake shedding its skin. But chaff is incredibly light, so light that when you want to get rid of it, you just blow, and it all flies away. Now, chaff is non-edible. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't even carry its own DNA to be able to reproduce itself. It's not like it's a seed. It literally has no value. It has no meaning. The image here is very light, insubstantial. What a beautiful contrast to our tree, deep, rooted, planted, productive. The chaff has no value, no meaning. And this is his picture of the wicked versus the righteous. Now remember here that our salvation is not what's in question here. Just because I'm in a season of dark doesn't mean God all of a sudden thinks, hey, maybe she's a chaff, like maybe she's not really worth anything anymore. I want to throw her away. God doesn't do that. He doesn't, base my, he doesn't base my salvation on my actions, and I really every day thank him for that. But he is painting here a saved people and unsaved people picture. Okay? So even when I'm over here as a tree and I've cut off a lot of streams of my life and I'm not taking in as much nourishment as I can, I still have meaning. I'm still rooted and planted. But the understanding that actually I used to be a chaff, and it's only by God's transformation that he took something insubstantial and light. The Bible talks about that like you are like a vapor, here today and gone tomorrow, right? You have no 
stability, that he takes me as a chaff and transforms me somehow into a tree. That is what, that's what makes me delighted. That's what makes me think, I want to talk about God and I want to talk to God and I want to hear his heart for no other reason than I used to be that and now I'm this. That's beautiful. Like, that's one of those things that you don't really think about until you zoom way out or until you talk to someone who's in that chaff state looking at the trees and going, you're a tree. Why are you a tree? Why do you have fruit in your life? What's going on? And you're like, oh, yeah. Like, that's cool, right? This is transforming. It's, it's humbling. It should be humbling. Okay, verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It's a little bit harsh. Um, Psalm 1 has sifted the world into two groups of people, the righteous and the wicked, and all humanity has been laid out for us, and there is a very clear bias as which we shall be. We should be that one, by the way. Um, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. That is a beautiful promise for me, for him to be ending and leaving us with. If there is something that has delighted my heart as well, it is this, that the creator of stars and of jellyfish and of Tuesdays and of yellow and of eyeballs, like that God, he is the one who watches over the way of my life. He knows when I'm nervous and he knows when I'm anxious and he knows my hopes and he not only knows them, but he's weaving them into my life really intentionally. And that is mind-blowing in a lot of ways. When we delight in the word of God, I think of it as like peering into a mirror. In this mirror, God has said many things about who we are. I have a list of things here that in the past few months of study have come alive to me. I think of, I think of that mirror and answering that question of who am I? Why am I here? And I, I find the more that I read the scriptures, the more things that he is jumping out and telling me about who I am. He's kind of getting in my face over and over and over again. So I want to read this list to you. So here are just some of the things he's told me. He told me he had a plan, Jeremiah 29, 11, a plan to prosper me and not to harm me. He told me in Acts 17, 26 that he knew the exact time of my day and birth and where I would live. He told me that John 8, 41 to 44, he's not distant and angry, but he is the complete expression of love in my life. He told me I was chosen in Ephesians 1, 4 before time began to be holy and blameless in the sight of the Most High God that I have the right to talk directly to God about my issues, Hebrews 4, 1. I don't need an intercessor. That 1 John 3, 1, I am his child and he is my father. I am also his bride, Revelation 21, 9. That I am his temple, 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Jeremiah 32, 40, that he will never stop doing good for me. Right? It's a lot of things. I'm still going. Ephesians 2.10, that I will do good works which have already been chosen for me, my fruit, that I am not meant to live timidly, but a life of power and of love and of self-discipline in 2 Timothy 1.7, that my desires are directly God-given, Philippians 2.13, Zephaniah 3.17, that he rejoices over me with singing. See, the reason... I delight in the Lord is because when I come to him, he, 
he clarifies who I am. He clarifies why I am. He clarifies what he's doing and how I'm a part of that plan. And he takes chaos and he makes meaning out of it. Why was I born in Washington? Why did I come to Canada? Why is the world in the state that the world is? If I look into this law, if I look into this scripture, it tells me, it says, nope, I've got a plan, Katie. And you're not actually just meant to timidly stand by that plan, but you're asked to embody it. You're asked to go for it. And that's good. I like having marching orders. I like knowing why. I like knowing the big picture as well as he knows my little picture too. So church, how do you delight? I am hoping, I'm convincing you that it's going to be to your benefit to delight, but that you're not just going to do it because it will benefit you. Just as a French vanilla benefits my heart and flowers someone else's, I do believe we all delight in the Lord in our own unique ways. I once read a book in which the author talked about her favorite way to read the Bible as with smoking and cigarettes. And I've always thought that was a very exotic picture. I think I was like 12. I don't know if I can condone the smoking part, but it just seemed so personal. Like she took ownership of it and she said, this is how I would hang out with my best friend. This is what I would do to make it beautiful to create this moment. And yeah, it sounded great to me. For me, my most delightful time in the Word is when no one's in the house. I turn off all the lights. I'm a bit of a night owl, so of course it's dark outside. I light a whole bunch of candles, and I sit down with my Bible, and I read a whole letter, or I read a whole chunk of the Bible out loud. The Word says it will never return to God void, and I don't know if it's some kind of byproduct of me reading it out loud, but there's something in it that just has the power to make me cry. I don't learn anything. It's not like I take my pencil out and, and break everything down and put it into nice little charts. I'm just delighting in hearing the word of God spoken in my house, in the rooms that I live in. To make this moment of intimacy for me breaks down all the walls that I've built up with God. It breaks down that bitterness, and it makes him seem so close and intimate. It is my delight and almost always ends with an outpouring of prayer. You know, the funny thing is I actually discovered that living with my lovely Tanya, former roommate, because we had this power outage, and I was writing this paper. It was like a 40-page paper on Corinthians or something like that, and everyone was gone, and I had all these candles, and it's like I stumbled upon this beautiful way to connect with God in my life, and I've done it ever since. I never did it before that moment, but it was so powerful. It was like a little gift that he just lobbed my way. For some of you, it might be memorizing scripture. Um, for some of you, it might be putting the CD, the Bible on CD on in your car when you have a long commute or just driving anywhere. Others, it might be singing. That might be the way you delight in the word of God. For some, it might be being stuck out in the middle of Mount Seymour with not a single person around, semi-lost, but kind of figure you can find your way back and having just this beautiful relationship talk with God. For some of you, it might be a stolen time of prayer and silence after the tinies go to sleep. For some of you, it might be in the richness of studying the Greek and the Hebrew and finding the text come alive. For some of you, it might be in your work and seeing a way that you understand God and how you read scriptures and how it connects to whatever discoveries you're making in your work. It might be, for some of us, the faithfulness of just years of knowing that God is with us and that God 
has always been there for you and connecting back into that. You see, coming out of the years of dryness, I had to start by engaging my emotions first. I tried to do it by just blunt force. Just get in the word, read it, it's done. Like, you just do it, right? We have that mentality, I, I just do it and it'll happen. But I believe the psalmist is telling us, no, first you start with the delight, you start with your heart, and then you start with meditation. You get into a good self-discipline, a good routine, but notice he knows us. Well, he knows me. He knows he starts with my heart first. If he can get that on board, he, the rest is mac and cheese. Like, it's easy. It's whatever. But it's the delight that happens first. The thing about delight is it surpasses my logic and my reason, and it sandblasts my soul with painting with colors of hope and of freedom. It takes away all the shoulds and the oughts of religion. Shoulds and oughts aren't a bad thing. I'm not going to stop volunteering in the nursery. That's a good thing to do, but my heart has to be continually transformed in that. Do I come and I do it because I love it, because I love God, because I love blessing your kids, or do I do it because I should do it? Right? My action on the outside is going to look exactly the same thing, and until I let people into my heart, until people are asking me that hard question, Katie, why? Why are you doing this? How are you doing with God? I'm never going to know if my heart's in a good place or not. No one else is ever going to know if my heart's in a good place or not. Like me, you guys might need to, to allow your heart to be engaged. This book of Psalms is certainly a book of emotions. <laughs> David's a really emotional guy, actually. He shows in almost every psalm the entire emotional range from elation to despair and, you know, I am a worm and... He just, he's the guy that danced in the streets, and you know he has a lot of heart and emotions, and I, I do believe he found his delight in God and in the word of God and in the law of God. My uh, father is an engineer, so the first half of my life, I believed God, thought like engineers did. You know, that whole like dad, God, father thing. I thought that he, you know, assess things, charts things, graphs things, streamlines, evaluates, and someone has an engineer in their life over here. Someone was laughing. But as I read, as I grow closer to God, I am realizing that he in no way discounts my emotions in this, and he in no way overlooks that. In fact, he's pretty active in saying that he wants to romance me, that he wants to reach down and to touch those things, to make me laugh and to make me cry, to set up little things. How many of you have ever had that when like God does something and you just laugh and you're like, of course that happened. Why wouldn't it? God's funny. You know that just like ha-ha moment you have with God? Because I have that moment with my friends. Why wouldn't I have it with my God? Why wouldn't I have that moment where he reaches down with that you know, proverbial God finger and just cracks my heart right open of saying, you're not doing okay, and I see it, and here's a verse and a passage that's just going to convict the heck out of you. He does that. He plays with my heart in a good way, right? And it's only because I believe God is faithful to complete a good work in me that that's okay, that I'm comfortable with that, that I'm comfortable saying, wow, I'm really ashamed that I am not faithful in my personal devotions. And to say, God does not condemn me for that. He comes to say, I want more. I'm not disappointed. I wasn't bored those four years I was waiting for you to get back into it. I wasn't wondering, would she ever change this? He was just waiting. He was just sitting there going, mm-hmm, I know. Mm-hmm, okay. 
yep, I know when it's going to happen. You're going to be fine. It's okay. I'm not angry. I'm not disappointed. Someone told me once that I could never let God down because I was never holding him up. And this passage does that for me. It says, he's not let down that I'm not delighting in his word, but he is continually inviting me to. He's saying, get in this book. Get in my heart. Because there's good things there and because I want your life to be delightful. We all have hard times. We all have sufferings. We all have dark seasons of the soul. And he doesn't say, I'm going to take those away. He doesn't say, I'm going to whitewash your life. He says, I'm going to be there in it. I'm going to help you find joy and delight and meaning in that. And we've got a plan and a purpose and stick with me. And not just stick with me here. Because no one wants that. No one wants a relationship with someone just there out of duty. But he says, stick with me here. So church, my question to you this morning, my charge to you, is don't settle. I can't help be transformed by this psalm, and it is my most sincerest prayer that you are as well. Find your delight in the Lord. Find your flavor. Find your style. Get a power outage, whatever it is to make you understand what makes your heart happy for God. Ask for it. I believe his word when he says, when he when we ask him, when we seek his heart, he is faithful to answer. And I think of Psalm 37, talks about, if I find my delight in the Lord, he will find his delight in me. And that is, that is a faithful promise. My God does not change like shifting shadows. So I'm going to invite Dustin and the team to come up and to respond in prayer. For some of you, singing is the way you delight in the Lord. It is your voice. It is that meager offering of, of a little child of my voice is wobbly sometimes, but I still offer it to God in love, and that my heart finds delight and joy in that. Totally should not put water bottle on the keyboard. Sorry. So in this time, I encourage you, if you're ready, if you're ready for that charge, that this time would be a time of asking God to teach you about his delight. And if you're not there yet, maybe it's a time of asking, God, get me there. God, reach your finger down and break my heart in a way it needs to be broken. So I'm going to end us in prayer, and then, yeah, if you just bow with me. Because, Abba, Father, you are so big, and you are so faithful to us. You are a God who delights over your children, even when they are not delighting in you. Father, I thank you that you are a God who is bigger than I can imagine, that you work things in ways I do not see. Father, for this church, for Jericho, for us in this community, Lord, I pray that we would be a community who is not content with the duties, who's not content with loving you just out of routine. But Father, I pray you would use our hearts, that you would engage us so fully. Father, I just think of this week coming up with our children being so blessed to have this week-long camp. Father, as we change, Lord, might we be seeing how it plays out into our generations, Father, that the changes we make, that the heart changes we make overflow into our kids, Lord, I pray just such a blessing and a protection. Lord, I know that there is so much here that Satan would like to steal away. Lord, when we are in the moment of change, when we are the moment of saying maybe yes, that that is when we are most vulnerable to attack. So, Father, I just pray protection over these people. I pray protection over our church and just ask that your name be the name proclaimed and lifted high in this place. So we lift our voices to you, Father. We just lift them in praise to a God who is so good to us. So we thank you, Jesus, and we 
you just walk out into the rest of this day with you. Amen.